Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio. Today's guest is Beth Green, the one and only, and we're so excited to have her. I am, I am your host, Helen Hillix, and James Maynard will be joining us as co-host just as soon as technology permits. <laughs> right. Today, today our show is how to be happier in our intimate relationships. A conversation with Beth Green, a very human and married guru, shakes up our perspectives. Who wouldn't like to learn the secret of being happier in our intimate relationships? Don't you wish you could figure it out and figure out how to be less reactive to the things that bug you about him or her? Wouldn't you like to learn more to be more loving, even when you want to shout instead? What is the secret to intimacy? Is it settling for what you get, or is it trying to change yourself and each other? What did you learn from your family and childhood about intimate relationships? Were your parents happy and affectionate? Listen to host Helen Hillix and interview Beth Green and learn how we can all improve our intimate connections. You're sure to find out things that you can practice on your own and make your intimate relationships better. And I purposely didn't have any news today because I wanted to dive right in with Beth. Are we going to be asking for callers for this show? I don't think so. You know, if somebody's listening and wants to call in, you know, I I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Okay. We'll just see if, if it feels right to accept callers if they do decide to call. Okay. But let's start out with, um, I would, unless you have some initial thoughts on the topic, Beth. None, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. Well, it, the, the thing that is the most on my mind, and it's such a, an unbelievably simplistic question, but I'm going to start there because I'm very simple-minded. <laughs> I, I'd like to know what, what, <laughs> what is the difference between settling for who you have and loving the person with all their warts and flaws and tolerating stuff that is really not good for either one of you. And how do you know which is which? Oh, you threw me a curveball. Um, well, first of all, speaking of such, we have seem to have James' face, but we don't know if we have his voice. We have his voice. Excellent. Yay. So, welcome, James. Yay. All right. Uh, I'm sorry, James, you were made obsolete by Helen. She did the e-card, but, but we'll, we'll, no you problem. can jump in later. In okay. fact, James might have something to say. Absolutely. Jump in anytime, James. Okay. Yeah, so, thank you. Uh, but, but particularly since this theme is very one very near and dear to me. <laughs> <laughs> Being the guru's husband, we did not throw uh, yes. that into the mix. So <laughs> That's right. So that, would be, that would be great. So <laughs> okay. going back to you, Beth. Okay, so can you? <laughs> so what was the what was the question? When okay, you, when, the question. You, go ahead. <laughs> no, yes. When are you just like learning to love the person, uh, or, and when are you just settling for something you shouldn't? Yes. Okay. Very uh, much, be- much better said. Oh, no, not at all. Um, well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is it's your motive. I mean, that's how you know. If your motive is to secure a future for yourself and your children, uh, then you're probably putting up with anything in order to have that. When your motive is to find a way to really fulfill a particular relationship where you really feel love for that person, then you're immediately in a different space about it. So I would say the first thing is, why are you in this relationship? In fact, you might surprise yourself to discover that you're in this relationship to prove that your partner is a louse uh, or a fool or, or just a man or a woman or whatever your, you know, the other gender is that you're in a relationship with. Um, so, And that could be your motivation, in which case you're deliberately going to make sure that you're miserable and that you can never work anything out. Wow. <laughs> well, I love that. The, the, especially the part about it depends on what your motive is. And yeah. speaking of motives, aren't there so many motives that are completely unconscious? Oh, my God. That is the m- number one enemy of the human race. Is not only that we are unconscious, is that we are devoted 
hopelessly devoted to remaining <laughs> unconscious. Um, so, you know, speaking of which, I'd like to actually n- uh, make a couple of comments of what makes a, uh, a good relationship uh, work or a, be- a, a, a relationship that should be good uh, make it work <laughs> versus a relationship that you shouldn't have started with to start with. So anyway, um, I, I think the first thing that really comes to mind about that question is be happy yourself. If you're in a relationship and you are not happy, there, there's always one person to blame. And it's whoever shares life with you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it, them. It's them. I mean, it, that, that is the easiest target. So, um, and there again, again, is your motivation. You know, if you're, especially if you're motivated to put down your partner, that's going to even make it worse. But, but it's, it's really true. I, I hate to say this, that if you're unhappy, you're probably not going to be in a happy relationship, especially if your partner isn't happy either. I mean, it's like uh, two porcupines cuddling. <laughs> I guess porcupines do cuddle. I really don't know anything about the anatomy of it. But, uh, you know, it was just the, <laughs> just the image that came to mind. Uh, because you know how it is. If you're feeling tense, I know that when I'm feeling tense, or unhappy, or dissatisfied with myself in particular, I'm going to be much edgier, and it's going to be much harder for me to be actually happy with my partner, because I'm basically not happy. And then there are other things that go along with that. For example, let's say I'm not happy because I don't like my work, or I don't like my job, Okay, well, I could blame you for the fact that I still have to work because you can't make enough money to keep me out of the job that I hate or the work that I hate. So you see how one thing can compound another. You know, you start with, you know, the one leg is broken and then, you know, everything else sort of falls into that category. It all sort of supports uh, the general pain in your leg because right, you start or, or- out, you know, with this feeling that you're not happy with your life. And it ha- and you're obviously have to live that life because of your partner. Exactly, or because you had, you had three kids. <laughs> but no, but that so was never my to... fault. Exactly, that was always exactly. his or her or their fault exactly. that we had three kids. Right. So this gives another motivation. So which is the chicken and which is the egg? Am I resenting you because I hate my life and I have you associated with my life? Or I'm hating you because I I really want to hate you and therefore I have to resent my life even if I like it. And I have to hate you because my mother taught me that all men were fools. Right. So that's the first thought that came to mind actually when you brought up the topic is, ha- is try to be happy. And, and, and how do you do that? I mean, you know, ask yourself, what is it that makes me happy? And can I do it? You know, what is stopping me from doing it? And is it always him, her, or them? For instance, I mean, I've seen people, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Helen, uh, who actually have enough money to hire help. But no, they're not going to hire help. They'd much rather be resentful. And want their spouse to take over the responsibilities that are burdening them so that, oh, you know, they really enjoy water skiing, but they never have any time for water skiing because they're too busy uh, cleaning the house, uh, you know, three times a week rather than hiring somebody when they, when they actually could. If you think that I'm kidding, I'm not. I don't think you're kidding, unfortunately. <laughs> it, it, I, you know, as you're talking, it's interesting. I... I am so reminded of, I I mean, I'm a counselor too, just as you are, and I'm so reminded of the people who seem, as you said, dedicated, not just to being unconscious, but to being unhappy. Yes. That it's become an art form. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, I'd like to add to that. When I first met Beth some six and a half years ago, I was dedicated to carrying the burden and belief that I continually got a raw deal from life, from the world. (laughs) And so uh, uh, the early stages of our relationship, I continue to find ways to complain about the raw deal, uh, even though uh, my life circumstances have changed dramatically and my life's never been better, but I've, I've had a hard time letting go of that. 
Case in point. (laughs) (laughs) Case in point. It's it's amazing. It's just amazing. And then, of course, there are those, and I I must throw myself into this pile, (laughs) (laughs) who want to be happy no matter what and will engage in various and sundry addictive behaviors to try and prove that I'm happy even when I'm not. Yes. Yes. And so how does that impact your relationship? Well, I mean, the same, of course. It's, it's destructive because under the surface, I'm not happy. Right. And so, you know, this is so, it's so important what you're saying because if you don't acknowledge that it's your life that's making you unhappy, then you can only feel that it's someone else. I mean, it could be your kids. It could be your mother. It could be your job. I mean, you know, we can create so many things that could be making us unhappy. But so often it is the spouse or the mate or the partner uh, that we attach that unhappiness to. And so when we're pretending that we're, that we're happy... And then we're not actually confronting, well, what is it that is making me so unhappy? Right. And and it's so, our, our partners are such easy targets. They are. Because we know every weakness, every flaw, we, we know it so intimately and, and every vulnerable spot. And we can play on that and it just becomes a vicious cycle. Yes, because they, in fact, are very flawed, aren't they? Exactly. So there's lots to complain about. I'd also like to add uh, on the other side of the coin is that there's a lot of collusion that happens to where I have been in relationships to where the other person colluded with me in uh, propping me up, propping up my ego, uh, creating the aura of contentment and comfort, uh, and and yet... uh, and so I would, I would not rock the boat as much, but I wasn't happy. Oh, yeah. There's nothing worse than a, than a partner who actually tries really hard to puff you up because then how can you ever f- <laughs> separate from them or, <laughs> or ask if this relationship is even what you want? So anyway, let, getting back to the broad point, because this has been great. Is, uh, the first thing is, is are you happy yourself? So ask yourself that question. If you're unhappy in your relationship, uh, are you happy yourself? And, and, you know, maybe you are. Maybe you're really happy with yourself and you really are unhappy in that relationship. And that's fine. And then you've identified the culprit and then you know what to do. But if you aren't happy yourself, you probably have been looking for a fall guy. And so the first thing to do before you divorce the other uh, the, uh, the job is to uh, see what it is that you really want to do and see if you can't work it out in that relationship to be able to do it and fight for it and fight for the happiness but you know then your partner has to believe that your being happy is going to be for their benefit and that of course brings us to another point about uh, what makes for a good relationship or a lousy one if your partner wants you to be unhappy, it's really difficult to move ahead. Now, you could say, well, why, why would your partner ever want you to be unhappy? Well, it could be because my partner is unhappy and he or she wants doesn't want to take a look at themselves, so they want to blame the circumstances. So, for example, let's say we're both poor and we're living, you know, in a crummy apartment or whatever it is. And so I can say, ah, oh, I'm so unhappy because I, you know, I thought I was going to live in a mansion and instead I'm living in one room with you and six children. Well, that is enough to make anybody crazy. I, I have to say that. But supposing you have a partner, this is the insult to injury, who manages to handle having six children in, you know, in a, in a one-room apartment and, and seems to be able to be happy anyway. Is it, I mean, that's an affront. <laughs> so so you have to make that person you know realize just how unhappy it is because the, you have to justify why well, you're unhappy it's, it's, you know being unhappy uh, it, it, we have to we have to explain it to ourselves why are we unhappy so first we were talking about blaming somebody but we can blame circumstances well anybody would be unhappy who 
this or who was ill, for example. So, you know, since I'm ill, you know, I have a, I have a real handle on that one. Well, it is a little bit uh, daunting sometimes to feel happy when you're in constant pain, but it is possible, depending on the level of pain, you know, if you're not like screaming, uh, it is possible to do things that make you happy. Or if you're disabled physically or you're disabled emotionally and you can't do all the things that you think, oh, I would be so happy if I could just roll down the river in a raft with everybody else. That would make me happy. And for 72 years, I've never been able to do that. I never will. Oh, no. Oh, Woe is unto me. I can't do that. I'll never dance. I'll never be a famous rock star. I'll never, whatever it is. Okay, so all these things that we absolutely cannot do for whatever reason, we can get all unhappy about. Or we can do the opposite, which is we can say, okay, now what? Am I able to do today, uh, and uh, can I enjoy it? So there is another issue about being happy. But uh, if we're dedicated to being unhappy, we want other people who can't do the same thing we can't do to be equally unhappy. It's like, oh, I can't skydive at ninety-five. Well, me neither. I'm so I feel so cheated. Now, of course, that's such a ridiculous example, although it isn't so ridiculous. But I mean, haven't you heard people say, "Oh, I I can't get into this size two dress," or "I can't," uh, "Oh, I haven't been able to eat in that restaurant," "Oh, I've never been to whatever it is, Spagos or Gaspachos or whatever it is." <laughs> well, I'm never going to get to Europe. I'm, you know, I'm at home. I'm stuck at home because I'm bedridden. Something like I'll never get to. Oh yeah, me neither. I can't get to Europe either. So then you both have an excuse to be unhappy, uh, rather than trying to figure out how to be happy with the circumstances you're under. And of course, see, um, I hope I'm not going too fast. But all of that actually leads to when you're not making do. Um, you know, not settling, when you don't see it as settling, you're saying, how can I enjoy this? How can I enjoy this? If I have selected this partner, how can I enjoy him with all his foibles? Well, that you were kind of coming back to the, the original question, <clears throat> which I, I would like to pursue, because I, I think people get totally confused about this. Yes. I, um, they feel like, that they, they're going to look stupid or inadequate in some way if they really love someone that is so obviously flawed to everybody else. Yes. Yes, it's so much better to love someone who doesn't look as flawed but who beats you. Exactly. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you know, this is so, so far, I mean, it's about ego, ego, and ego, right? But you're, you're absolutely right that people feel foolish. How could I possibly settle for a guy who is so much like my father after all, or who does not look like a, a, a powerhouse in the world? So that makes it look like, you know, what's wrong with me that I did not attract a handsome guy or a beautiful woman? or, you know, a, 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 a thin one or whatever. And, and, you know, this is so real, Helen, that people really do actually go into this. They can't admit that they love who they do love, and therefore they can't make a go of it. They can't let themselves be happy with that person. See, we seem to be revolving around this happiness thing because I actually believe that Intimate relationships are supposed to make us happy. I I know it's a very retarded idea. <laughs> I, I believe that's true I, because because <laughs> there are things two people can do that can make them feel better, make them feel good, like cuddling, uh, holding each other, feeling the love, the closeness. Yeah. Doing fun fun activities they both enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and giving them. Um, uh, giving them uh, comfort, security, uh, the safety of a loving place when everything else outside them is very daunting. 
I mean, it's so true. It is so true that that we need that comfort, that that safe haven. And sometimes the person with whom we can truly find that looks very odd to other people. Exactly. Exactly. You know, my husband is an embarrassment. My wife is an embarrassment. My girlfriend is an embarrassment. She's a cripple. She's deformed. She is ugly. She is fat. She's, she's a loser. And so am I, um, you know, it's beginning to look like the ego is, uh, is really the enemy of, of, of a happy relationship because we have found so many reasons. You know, one is, uh, okay, I, I am not confronting the real things that are going on in my life that are making me unhappy because if I did that, then it could be extremely threatening to my life. Like supposing I discovered that I really do hate my job. And I can't be happy no matter how much I enjoy being in a relationship. It doesn't change the fact that 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day I'm doing something that I hate to do. And so uh, I have to be able to talk to my partner about that and say, you know, I really can't do this. And um, my partner has to care enough about me to be able to overlook the drop in income that might occur. And that's particularly difficult when there are children involved or elders that you have to support or God knows whom else is a dependent. Uh, But see, we also make up a lot of rules like I have a son and I have to send him to college. And, uh, you know, so I have to do something that is anathema to me that is killing me maybe because this is the only way that we can send our son to college and suddenly I feel trapped rather than really asking whether or not it's right to to pay for the son or have him burdened with debt. Not that that's a good choice, but it, but, but it is a choice. Most people don't let themselves think about what's really bothering them. Most people don't let themselves feel what they're really resenting. Most people aren't letting themselves consider whether or not there are any alternatives. So we've closed our minds to the alternatives before we've even started. We have a resentment towards our mate who's reinforcing the idea that we have to send our child to college and pay for their education. That that They believe that too, and nobody seems to care about me. And that, of course, and I do want to talk about the, the happy parts, you know, a little bit later about what um what does what is working uh or what could work uh but i just want to go over some of these things um and let's talk about honestly about how threatening it is to really look honestly at the things that are bothering us well i i think you're so right in what you're saying and that we do not let ourselves consider options and I've heard you over the years it's always kind of blown my mind when when you say things like you know you could quit your job you know you can you could give up your home you could move into an apartment I mean I always think are you crazy are you crazy yes you know but but it's so true it is so true, and you know this is a silly, silly kind of example in a way, but um, on Home and Garden TV, uh, that's my favorite channel, because um, I love decorating and gardening and stuff like that, but there is, a, there is a real trend toward tiny houses. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's speaking to exactly what you're saying, is people are realizing that they have not given themselves any kind of choice that they have to get on that mainstream treadmill and stay there until they drop dead. Yes. And people are finally waking up to the fact that they call them McMansions, you know, the the great huge houses on the many, many lots just so that they can have this grandiose experience. People are, are rejecting that idea. Yes, and so this comes back to where we started this conversation is you have to be happy. You have to be happy to really be happy in a relationship. I don't mean you can't love somebody or you can't have fun together, but if your life is dreadful, it makes it much more difficult to be happy with your relationship because you're just generally kind of in the sourpuss mode. 
Now, I haven't talked yet, we haven't talked yet about relationship issues, really. I mean, we've alluded to them about when we're intent upon blaming and so on. Uh, We focus more on our own discontent and how that makes us discontentful uh, in our relationships and tend to blame and so on. But now, maybe we should move on to the other side of it, which is uh, the actual relationship, you know, what does intimacy require and how can we get there? What do you think? I completely agree. Um, I was just thinking the same thing because there are real ways to deal with things in relationships and there are real problems. And they aren't always just that I'm unhappy. No, they aren't. Uh, one could be that you know the partner is drinking or acting out some other addictive behavior. It could be that the other, I mean, that could be like a substance uh, issue, food, alcohol, whatever. It could be a behavior like gambling. It could be a, a behavior like anger. It could be uh, a denial. Uh, it could be um, you know judgmental behavior and rigidity. Uh, you you could be living with someone who's suffering from a cognitive decline or a physical decline or so many different things that impinge on that delicate uh, love that it's that seems so fragile sometimes uh, that it can go in a second. Uh, I mean, it can seem to go in a second. You know that one minute you're feeling this love energy and the next minute you hate the guy. Um, and there are so many reasons for that. So, yes, do let's talk about that. So, I'd like to, I think, begin this part of the conversation talking about what, to me, makes a relationship good and intimate. And I think that it's emotional safety that yes. is maybe the number one requirement for a happy relationship. And... What I mean by emotional safety is it could be, I feel safe to tell you what I'm feeling about anything, including you. Um, I feel safe to share my vulnerabilities with you. I trust that if I bring something up, you're not going to use it against me. Um, I trust that if I bring something up, you're going to be willing to explore it with me and try to help me to understand myself. You know, in the course of the day, my emotions jump around uh, like a roller coaster. And uh, one minute I'm feeling strong and empowered and I'm going forward. And in the next minute I'm in bed. I just want to hide under the covers. And, (laughs) and you know, and I don't know why sometimes. And uh, James and I have uh, a tool that we use, which is I'll go and I'll say James and he'll say what? And I'll say and he'll say, I'll say something. Uh, something. That's what I say, something. And he says, Oh, okay, well let's talk about it. And he knows what that means is that I'm feeling something, but I don't know what it is and I don't know why I'm feeling it. And sometimes I do know what it is and I do know why I'm feeling it, but I feel embarrassed or uh, stupid, foolish, you know. Uh, but sometimes I really don't. And if you have a partner who is not extremely perceptive, they can try to help you from today to, to 100 years from now, and you're still going to be frustrated because you're never going to get to it. And that can cause a lot of unhappiness because you're walking around with something, and you don't know what the something is, and you're not getting any support, uh, even if your partner is trying. So once we have you know, that feeling of safety that we can even go to our partner, is, you know, how, many, how much skill does our partner have in helping us to get clear about what we're feeling and why. Even if it's because we resent something that they did earlier that day. Uh, And so one of the things that I think is really helpful to people is to actually study human behavior, really study a partner in particular, try to understand them and use that understanding to help and support them. Well, and how much training does the average Joe or Joanne have to be able Absolutely. to do that? None. You well, know, they're yeah. lucky if they've read, uh, you know, six articles in Reader's Digest or Cosmo or wh- whatever other magazines there are. 
and that will give you some pop psychology. And I'm not saying pop psychology is always wrong, but it'll give you some kind of generic pop psychology explanation that may have absolutely nothing to do with what's really bothering you. And and, and I'm going to, I really want to speak to this in a very heartfelt way because I know that the innerrevolution.org, of which Helen is the co-director, offers a lot of opportunities for people to train themselves in their understanding and their comprehension. Plus, we have two free books. So one of them is really so much about human consciousness and what makes it tick. And it's free. And it's a free download on the uh, IR website. It happens to have been written by me. Um, but it, it, you know, just, it goes through all these exercises that we can do together, asking ourselves these questions. Uh, we can be in therapeutic, uh, you know, in therapy. And if we have a good therapist, they will get beyond it. But for example, I'm going to give you a, something that happens a lot. Let's say, uh, you know, a couple is having problems and uh, the woman feels shut down sexually. Well, I, we, you know, we know that she was molested at the age of seven. Well, that's it. That's the explanation for everything. She was molested, and therefore she can't be sexually responsive. Well, maybe that isn't why she's not sexually responsive. Maybe maybe it is, but maybe it's not why you think. Maybe it's because she feels guilty uh, because she enjoyed it or because she participated with the person because she, you know, she was so enamored of her older brother's uh, friend. Uh, that she participated in and what's really making her feel terrible about herself is that she feels guilty about having participated with him and therefore brought on this molest herself. And so her guilt about her sexuality and her sexual desires is what's shutting her down. Or maybe she shut, shut down because her partner is uh, rough or in his is his or her ego when they are making love. Maybe the partner is all anxious now maybe the partner knows that she's got some issues with her sexuality so now that partner is doing everything they can to prove how considering considerate they are and the moment you're trying to prove something when you're in bed you've lost all the passion because you're into the proving i mean there are so many or maybe she's resenting the fact that the partner is ignoring her most of the time and only seems to be interested at certain times of the day when he or she is available and wants a break or maybe the partner is going towards her with anxiety because they, they, they feel anxious and they want her to be the cure for their anxiety that they use sex as a way of clearing their anxiety. I mean, there's a million other reasons other than the fact that she was molested. Absolutely. And this, and this is where that pop psychology can get us in trouble because we can assume that we know when we really don't know. And developing our capacity to to be intuitive, to uh, to ask questions, to be in the inquiry with our partner, even if we're not terribly skilled, but to be in the inquiry with them and just keep asking questions. So if you say, "Well, okay, well, you know, I, I guess I, I'm I'm having this reaction because I was molested and I, I've been shut down sexually," and then you could say, even if you have nothing else in your little basket you can say well what about that experience uh was traumatic for you instead of just assuming oh well i was molested in there for right you know what i I just want to stop you because i this is such a key issue in human relationships and i i want to make sure that it is emphasized is not to make assumptions. You know, I've been the queen of assumptions, so this is a really painful, <laughs> painful and personal yeah. issue to me that, you know, we not make assumptions. And I don't know how many times I hear this in conversation on Facebook, blah, 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 is, you know, of course you feel that way. Everybody feels that way yes. in, in X circumstance of, you know, and it just, you know, just makes my hair stand on end because I realize how far astray we go when we make that kind of assumptions. Yes. And that's exactly what you're honing in on is even a situation like molest is we can ask, what was it about that? Yes. That, that it lingers in your mind. 
And in counseling, so many times, I, I've had the same experience you've had, I know, is that in questioning the person, it comes out that it's something completely different, as you yes. were saying. And if, if you people get one thing out of this, I, this radio show, I, I think that would be a great thing to get out of it because you're not going to feel safe in an intimate relationship if you don't feel that the other person cares enough to truly explore with you, you know, what is going on inside you and jumps to conclusions instead. And that goes... Yes. You know, that goes not just for situations like being molested, but if somebody said, if your husband or wife says something to you and you get upset, you know, they, they shouldn't assume why you're upset. Yes. You know, they should ask, what about that? Yes. What about what I said or did hurt you? Yes. So what you're, you're, what you're saying is so right, Helen. You know, it may have been that when you were being molested at seven your mother was came to the door and observed you, and that me, the memory of being seen engaged in a sexual, you know, activity that was illicit may be the very thing that's hampering you for the rest of your life. You see how it could be so many different things, uh, and another thing very related to what you're talking about uh, in terms of our reactions is the, about assumptions. Is let's say. Uh, this is a friend. It doesn't have to be a an intimate partner. It can be well. There should be intimacy among friends. But the same thing happens. It's like, oh, I got fired today. Oh my God, you didn't. Well, maybe it was the best thing in the world for me to get fired. But right. my friend or my spouse who now feels threatened, you know, uh, or may feel threatened, is suddenly like, oh no, you know, this is so terrible. And now I really am happy that I got fired because I hated the job and couldn't figure out a way to quit. Um, so, but I now have to hide the fact that I feel happy that I got fired because I shouldn't feel happy that I got fired. I should feel unhappy that I got fired. <laughs> so, right, because it makes you feel insecure. Exactly. So all of this pressure on us to conform to a certain reaction because it is socially acceptable to have that reaction. Uh, you know, personally, I, I prefer monogamy and I think monogamy works best. But, uh, you know, there may be people for whom it really doesn't work best. So let's say uh, you find out, oh, my God, my mate has been um, uh, seeing someone else. Oh, you poor thing. Oh, that's so terrible. Well, maybe I really want to see somebody else, too. And I'm really secretly happy that my partner is doing it so that that gives me an excuse to do it. So (laughs) so, personally, I think that the two of them should go into counseling with either Helen or me or one of our uh, inner revolutionary coaches to find out what's, you know, what's going on in that relationship. And then, you know, then you have to make a choice. Do you want to live in a relationship where you're both kind of getting your needs met elsewhere? Or do you want to work on the relationship or do you want to do both? But this, this willingness to be in the inquiry is, is a huge part of having a happy, satisfying, intimate relationship. And another one, of course, is the, the willingness to share what is really going on that you already know is going on. You know, if, right. If, if you're doing behavior... Uh, you know, you're gambling on the side or you're sneaking food in the pantry and then you're throwing up or you're secretly fantasizing about other men or women. Um, you know, you better bring this to the table because if you don't tell your partner, you will feel, they, they will feel a distance. They won't even know what the cause of that distance is. And then they begin, begin to believe that it's just normal. You know, I have heard over and over and over and over and over that after X number of years, you know, every relationship pretty much gets pretty bad or tepid or with no passion. And, you know, I can understand there's a different hormonal relationship uh, when you're 20 and when you're 50 for some people. For some people, it, it seems to be pretty intense anyway. Or... You know, you don't have all that mystery or the universe isn't trying to get you together to have sex so you can have more babies. So there could be a drop 
in that respect. But it doesn't mean that you can't have sexuality that's more satisfying, that's more comfortable, that's more relaxed. Well, it is the same thing with a relationship. To me, the idea that the longer you're together, the more horrible the relationship is going to get is uh, just means that you're not on a conscious path and that you were either in the wrong relationship to start with or you both need therapy or you, you need some counseling desperately to see what has happened because the resentments of things that happened 20 years ago that they've never been cleared up but you've pushed aside in order to make peace because going back to your initial question about you know settling in a relationship, when we settle, that's what we do. We swallow everything that bothers us. We just swallow right. it and swallow it and swallow it. And then, you know, what happens? I mean, just imagine yourself swallowing, uh, I can't say that word on the air, uh, uh, feces on a regular basis. It's going to come out of, you know, it's going to be coming out of our ears at a certain point. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and it's going to lead to resentments that never get cleared up. You know, I would say that James and I have had horrible times. But all together over the six and a half years, and we're both old, you know, that our relationship has fundamentally improved. And both of us are working on it. This idea that one person can work on a relationship, well, I think if, you, if you're at that point, you probably are settling. <laughs> then you better ask yourself why. By the yeah. way, I'd, li- I'd like to uh, uh, chime in here and say, yes, I agree with that, Beth. And I, and I would say that one of the keys to this is that uh, every evening before we go to sleep at night, we ask the question, is there anything to clear? And then we go about intuitively trying to ascertain, okay, what came up? What sort of emotion came up that got triggered or was affecting the other person? Uh, when did it come up? What was the feeling? What happened? And we clear it, and then we feel more intimate, more open, more relaxed, and enjoying each other more. That's yeah, such a great ritual. And sometimes it takes months for us to get through something really big or years, but we do get through it. Now, I, I'm glad, uh, James, that you brought that up because, see, sometimes when I'm feeling dissatisfied, and this goes back to being happy, I'm unhappy because James is unhappy. I can't help it. I feel his feelings. And I think most of us do feel the feelings of an intimate partner. So we cannot end this or come to a conclusion around today's show which I you know could go on for another few hours as far as I'm concerned uh, talking about the relationships is that um, we it's once you get very bonded to someone you're in their energy field you begin to feel their feelings and so being happy it's really difficult to be happy in my life if my partner is unhappy in his life I mean we have to try to do it anyway but it's tough because we're so one. You know, we, we know that we are one and we feel each other's feelings. So it becomes imperative. If uh, James says, is there anything to clear? And I say, I feel something. That doesn't necessarily mean it's my feelings. Right. You know, it's very often it's his feelings. And, and, and whatever it is that he is feeling may not have anything to do with me. It may have something to do with the way that the clerk at the, uh, you know, the, the cashier at the grocery store talked to him because it triggered some old pain of his. So he's carrying that around for the rest of the day. And it had nothing to do with me, but he's unhappy or he's feeling shame. And then whatever that shame or pain or dread, uh, embarrassment that he's feeling, he's bringing into bed with us. You know, I, I can't help feeling at this point in our conversation that most people are so unprepared to be in intimate relationships at all. Yes. I I mean, just listening to you, the demands of a truly intimate relationship that we, we need to feel safe with one another emotionally in order to have a, an intimate relationship. And in order to be safe with one another, we need to really be willing to listen to one another without opinions, without agendas. And then we need to be capable and willing to help process with each other because we also need to be willing to expose ourselves and all of our feelings and thoughts and uh, urges and needs and so forth. And it's like the more you're talking about it, the more I think, you know, it's a miracle that anybody stays married 
or that in, I shouldn't say that it's really a miracle that anybody is happily married unless they just were completely lucky in getting together with somebody with whom they really have a, you know a synchronicity that's unparalleled I mean other than that it's like people people just need to take this seriously uh, the the challenge of it before uh, they yeah. jump before they jump into something and and realize that this is a serious commitment that's going to take a lot of training. I mean, it's like being the executive of a company. You know, you don't just take somebody off the street and say, you're good looking, I'll take you. You are so right. And, you know, just adding to that, our developing our own capacity for self-awareness to even know what we're feeling or to know what triggered that feeling or to know uh, what it is about what the other person did that actually is making me angry. Because I can say, okay, James did this, and that made me angry. But what about it made me angry? And I, you know, why did I get angry because he did this? What was it about that that made me angry? Rather than just saying, well, of course I'm angry. He blanked, you know, because when I'm in a good, clear place, he could do the same thing, and I'm not going to have the same reaction. Right. You know? and, and very often, so, so that goes back to the first point about being happy ourselves, not being reactive. And the other point is being able to suss out when the same behavior has a different motive. So, uh, for example, uh, um, let's say your partner uh, struggles with forgetfulness. And yeah, and the, and your partner also struggles with uh, a kind of a knee-jerk reaction of withdrawal. Well, okay, so the person is doing something, and uh, they forget that they were supposed to meet you at three o'clock or something. Okay, well, was it their forgetfulness that they're having more cognitive decline, or was it that they had withdrawn? And why did they withdraw? What made them withdraw? You see, so. Uh, it's not only the state of mind that, that I am in that will determine how I react to what my partner does. It's also the state of mind that my partner is in when he or she does this. The motive behind it, I may pick it up that the person is withdrawing from me and then I'm going to get angry. Uh, you know, I I feel like we had just, you know, we scratched the surface of this topic and it is frightening I, oh, it is. It, it's like uh, it's like parenting. We think that you know. I believe that because I was born with a breast, that I'm supposed to know how to be a mother, or or that you're supposed to know how to be a father, or um, uh, it, it's the same thing with relationships. You know, we've learned terrible relationship patterns from our parents and the and the society that tells us the way it's supposed to be. Like oh, the the little woman. Or, you know, the obedient or the obedient uh, partner. And uh, we have all of that socialization also on top of this that tells us how we're supposed to behave and what is supposed to happen in a relationship. But we never really learn how to relate. And uh, I really recommend people take it more seriously. I I sure hope they do. You know, we've only got four minutes left and... I would like, James, to tell us what we're doing next week, and I'd like to come back and summarize a little bit more with you, Beth, until we close. Okay. Very good. Next week, join us to hear Christina Vilmari from the Finnish Educational Agency discuss their stellar educational system. Let's hear why it is so different from the U.S. system and explore why we don't follow their example. The Finnish education system ranks among the highest rated in the world. Why is that? Is it because their education starts before their children can walk and offers free education all the way to a doctorate? Could it be their their free lunches for all students and free transportation? Or is it their truly socially conscious focus encouraging the students to understand their differences and to care about each other's needs? Or the way the students who learn more quickly are expected to help the ones who may struggle? Or the philosophy about not giving much, if any, homework? We'll hear about these practices as well as many others from Christina Volmari, Counselor of Education and Head of Information and Analysis at the Finnish National Agency for Education. Ann Brennan, an experienced educator, will join host Helen Helix in this fascinating journey into the world of exploring what works best 
to educate our children and young people. And why? Join us. And now for a final word. That's fantastic. Although obviously the reason that the Finnish educational system is better is because they're all fish. But anyway, (laughs) I I couldn't help it. It's been so serious today. It it has been serious. But, uh, you know, it reminds me what you said a minute ago about it. It's like parenting. I would love to have you back on and have you talk about what makes good parenting this you know and of course we're only going to scratch the surface of that in an hour as well but what do you think i would love to helen i mean um i would love to come and talk about what i've learned as a counselor and as a human being uh that might be helpful to others but the first thing is for us to realize that it's not all us or all our partners, that these are difficult things to do for which we have little or no preparation, or the preparation that we have received has been flawed at best. So we've seen patterns and we've been trained to think and be in certain ways that are actually destructive to the soul and to the heart of people who are come together in theory to love each other and then end up with just disappointed expectations. And you know what? I, I wish that we would write in this inside of every wedding ring and on every ceremony is, is to embrace the I don't know how, but I'd love to find out. Yes. You know, if, if we could set aside our egos and it, it just acknowledge that we don't know, we do not know how to do these things, but we can learn. That's right. That's right. Yes, we may be flawed, but that doesn't mean that we're fatally flawed, that, that we can't change. And, you know, I, would, I think we, I would like to close with having an intimate relationship that is supportive is such a blessing. It's worth the struggle. And don't let anybody make you feel that you're stupid for trying or for hanging in there. Uh, sometimes you do have to let go. But that there is something so wonderful and comforting about love. And that it's, you know, as that song says, love is what's worth fighting for. <laughs> yes, yes, that, that song, song that, that Granny Rocks, rocks. is is just exposing to the world and we'll hear much more about granny rocks on in the future but uh i want to just say grannyrockson.com is the new website that's going to be up very soon and we're very excited about all that original music and the granny rocks experience that beth is offering that's Uh, beth green by the way granny rocks is beth green (laughs) (laughs) absolutely granny rocks is beth green so Thank you so much, Beth. It's been a pleasure as always. James, thank you for co-hosting. And I want to tell our listeners that Beth is going to be on once a month generally, the first uh, Thursday, and that James has agreed to be our co-host every first Thursday as well. And I'm very happy about that. So Me, Me too. Thank you so much. I love you guys. And thanks for the wonderful conversation. We love you too, Helen. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.